it's the devaluation of life. That's that's what's hurt us in so many different areas. Um, well, let's let's start setting the stage for a little bit because we want to talk about Operation Underground Railroad. So, as you're going through this career, was it just time for you to retire? I mean, did you max out on what you could from retirement, or did you say, "I've had enough. I got to go do something else"? What was your what was your decision on pulling the pin? Well, I think we all got to a point or get to a point where you kind of know you're done policing, but I wasn't done serving. And so that's, that's where I was, that's, that's where I was kind of conflicted. And since 2006, I've been in kind of this human trafficking realm. I worked with a, a, a group, International Justice Mission, and I was a contractor with them. And so I would, I did a lot of work in Southeast Asia, um, infiltrating organizations and, and, uh, bars and nightclubs and finding trafficked victims. So I did that for, for many years. And then in 2016, I, uh, got hooked up with Operation Underground Railroad and, so I was doing work with them on a contract basis. So I would go to uh, any number of countries and do do cases and stuff like that. So in about 2000 or 2022, 20, late 2021, uh, we started talking and they needed a director of special operations. And so it kind of worked out where I said, okay it's time I can go do, I can go do this and, and still, still serve, still have a and, mission and be a part of a fantastic, fantastic organization. Hey, so let's set context for this just, but just out of curiosity, um, you've been looking at this subject for a long time. What are the top five worst countries for this? Um, you know, shoot top five worst countries. Because everybody thinks about things like Thailand, you know, kind of areas. Like, I mean, there's, there's, I would say more areas. I mean, you got Southeast Asia, you got Central America, you got a lot going on in in the Caribbean. You have a lot going on in South America. I mean, name 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 the spot. It's the sad thing is it's going on everywhere because human trafficking is. I think it's $150 billion a year industry. It's second only to, to narcotics, the drug trade, human trafficking is, and, and it's, it's, it's true. The cartels. Well, it's becoming more lucrative for the cartels with less risk than trying to, um, uh, you know, narcotics, you know, drug smuggling. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they, they're not, the cartels aren't stupid and they know, they know that, uh, you know, a kilo of cocaine can be sold one time. You've all heard this analogy, but you know, you get a 14, 14, 15 year old girl and you can sell her 10, 10 times a day, 10, 12 times a day for umpteen years. And look how much money you made off of one person. Well, let me ask you, when you're talking about the worst areas of the world, is that where the kidnappings are taking place, or is that the people who are partaking of these innocent victims? Well, the vast majority of, uh, or a large majority of trafficked um, kids are from a known, a known person to them, whether it's their family family, friend, clergy, um, any number of different things, but they're the people that know them. Now, are there instances of, of grabbing a person and, and that? Absolutely. But the majority of it, uh, or large, large, uh, section of it is by people that they know. And what do they get? And what are the folks that are doing it getting out of it? Are they, this is the, it's a money transaction for them, right? They get something for this. Oh yeah. They get the money. 
No, I mean, but the person like uh, you said, a clergy or a, a family member, like uh, the girls introduce a girl into something and she ends up being used. Is this a money transaction for the girls? It's a money transaction for the person that did it. The fa- the mom, the dad, the the cousin, the uncle. Wow. And and the so taking that just a little, little bit further, what are the worst countries or locations of people who subscribe to, you know, sex acts with, with underage children? I would say the United States is is the number one purveyor of it. They're the uh, I, I would say you know, you have uh, United States, Britain, Canada, uh, or and then uh, you know Australia. You have those. When I was in Southeast Asia, I mean, I can't tell you the amount of Americans and and uh, Brits and Australians that I saw over there. That's where they coined the term sex tourism from. You'd go over there, and um, now the one thing, the only thing that came out of that. I mean, they did finally end up passing some laws to make it a federal crime. It, it was tricky to establish jurisdiction. You know, how do you, how do you have jurisdiction over something that happens in Thailand, you know, or Australia or places like that? But um, ha- have those laws been effective at all? You think it's slowing this down? Oh, I, I, there's been absolutely there's been people held accountable um, that were caught in a foreign country doing. Um, so, yeah, they're they're good. I don't know if it's changed a lot of these people's behaviors. Um, but one thing that there has been a spike in is, is you've got this, you you mentioned the dark web earlier. So these people will start up a dark web channel uh, website and they'll have paid, paid subscriptions. So uh, these people, pedophiles or people that are into this in the United States or Canada, you know, Europe, all over the world, they find this, this, this thing, this website, they're able to subscribe to it. Now it's live. So they'll have a victim there on camera and they'll have an adult there. And that adult is being told what to do to that child by these these people online. So instead of these people online going over and actually doing the deed, they're instructing, they're getting to visually watch it. And we mentioned that case about the Australian, uh, Daisy's destruction. He, he, he had started something like that. And these people were paying yeah. extreme amount of money. I think I can't remember what the figure was, but that guy from Australia, I mean, it was it was incredible to me the amount of money he made. Yeah, it was it was it it was incredible. And that just shows you the urge of these people and that that subscribe to this stuff. I mean, this is. This isn't something that is uh, is a fleeting Thought. Oh, these no, this is are, not like one day they go, oh, I got an itch for something. No, this is something they wake up in the morning, they think about it, they think about it during the day, they think about it at night, they dream about it, they wake up the next day and start it all over again. Right. It's it's a compulsion. And um, it's a strong compulsion for these people. And when you can watch another person being, being victimized like that, uh, there's some serious hell. Well, I got a, I got a way to handle that saves the taxpayers a lot of money, but that would involve you guys being involved in a conspiracy on this podcast. We're not going to do that. So, <laughs> Hey, let's talk, let's talk though, but let, let's talk about operation underground railroad. Tell us about them. I'll tell you, I worked around, um, great people, a lot of great people at the police department. What I can tell you is I, the dedication the quality of people at Operation Underground Railroad that I'm fortunate to work with are second to none. I mean, this is an organization that uh, that truly makes a difference. And I mean, I've been there. I've been on on several operations. I mean, one where we we rescue eighty nine, eighty nine people. We, we we took down this organization, rescued eighty nine. 
And during that operation, this this is one of those things that kind of hit me too, because I was involved in the planning, set up the execution of of the. Uh, hey, the, let's let's take that as a case study. So tell us, walk us through how does Operation Underground get involved in a case where you end up rescuing eighty nine people? What's it? Uh, how do you get the information? Mm-hmm. You know, are, do you guys have your own informants, people in country? So kind of use that as an example to say, this is this is an example of how we do a case. Well, we we partner with with the governments of of a country. So we're not cowboys. We're not we're not there uh, doing cowboy stuff. We partner we partner with with countries, and this is a long process. Okay, so we'll meet with them. Uh, they have issues that they're not capable of handling at that at that moment. And it's not due to intellect. It's not due to anything like that or desire. It's that most of these places, they have no funding. resources. Yeah. They have zero resources. They have zero funding. I mean, we, we, we've had to pay for fuel for vehicles. So these guys can get out to a village to investigate something. So we'll partner with with uh, the governments and the whatever police agencies in that country are, and we will offer our resources, whether it's training, training the prosecutors, um, training the investigators, um, and we also offer you know undercover services because it's sad to say, but Americans in these different places you know there's a lot of times that i step foot on the ground and i'm approached you don't even have pants. to do any work they're, yeah they're approaching you they're There's approaching no me just yeah. because of the way i look um my age the way i look i was gonna say you look kind of scruffy there pal you look- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. going well, you see on us on this podcast are you i have to and uh but so um yeah I'll I'll give you an example of uh, of a case I just did in Central America. So we go down there. We're working with their 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 government, and there's this uh, area that is known for sex trafficking. So we go there, and I go there, and I'm walking along the beach. We identify at the end of the day. We identified nine or seven traffickers. And I'd went there two two occasions, met with them, get their phone numbers, talk with them, doing all, doing all that. Hey, without giving away state secrets, how do you what what uh, how easy is it for you at this point to be able to look at somebody and get a good feel for whether they're a trafficker or not? I can read it pretty quick. I've been doing it for so long, and so I uh, there's I can pretty much tell when a person's real is it does it start off behaviorally like the way they're standing the way they're looking or is it more about the approach and the conversation where where does it really click for you more approach and conversation so you know i just stay in contact with them and be friendly with them talking with them um and then next thing you know we, we we set up the actual deal and and i'm not going to give the state secrets on on how we do that but obviously it's the time and place where they're they bring the uh bring the the people that they have um so we'll set up a a whole whole thing they um we tell them hey we need the uh merchandise i don't mean to uh degrade but you gotta gotta speak their language though right Right, and so we need them here at this time, and they know this is what they're going to do, right? And this is how much we're paying you uh, for 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 you know bringing your your girls uh, and sometimes boys if that's what uh, if they have that because you know you save one life, it doesn't matter if it's boy or girl. You know what I mean? There's there's traffic to boys and uh, as well as as girls, so. Then they'll bring them, and 
I'll do the deal with the with the traffickers, take them in another room or whatever, pay them. It's all on video, all all done uh, aboard, and then the takedown team, which is the locals, will come in, execute the arrest, um, and then a lot of times we have to get out of there right away because we don't make a lot of friends where we go. I mean, there's there's several places I can't go back to <laughs> now, um, so. And then, I mean, we follow it all the way through. We'll testify if needed um, against the, the bad guys. And, and we put together cases that can be prosecutable and work hand-in-hand hand with, uh, with the governments to make sure that uh, – um, because – and then we have aftercare. The most important part of uh, Operation Underground Railroad, I believe, is, is – the rescue is just the beginning. Rescue is just the beginning. If if all we did was rescue and then not have an avenue for for these victims to to get help or survivors to get help, then we've done nothing. So we have wraparound services for these survivors, and um, that's what makes it so great and once they're a part of the family they're a part of the family so we'll we'll stay with them however long they need i mean we just, we've stayed with people years and and given them the, the help they need so when you're dealing with the traffickers how do how do they go about negotiating because i mean like i said we're using their vernacular this is would not be ours but how do you establish the price of the merchandise? Is it based on age? Is it based on, you know, what factors? How do they go about determining how much a child is worth? Is there like a market price or is it a, you know, always a negotiation? Uh, there's, there, it's, it's a negotiation. Uh, and obviously the, the younger they are, the more uh, they, they're, uh, the higher the price, the higher the price. And so we'll come to like the one, you know, 89 of them that we got, we, we had a, I forget the price, but we had, okay. Um, we were, we paid, I don't know, thousand bucks or 500 bucks a, a head or something they thought they were getting or something to that effect. Well, the nice thing about that is even if you come give them that money, the whole thing is the takedown happens. So you get the money back. These you guys get are the not getting back. the back. Yeah. No. There's and, no uh, walking the money. But the, going back to the one where 89 were arrested, you know, or sorry, were uh, um, rescued, rescued is this kind of hit home. I was going through the different rooms and I heard one of our aftercare people talking with this girl and she was from a South American country. And she goes, hey, you'll be all right. Everything's fine. You've been found. You've been rescued. And she looked at her kind of puzzled with a puzzled look and said, what do you mean? I've been found. I didn't know anyone was looking for me. Oh, geez. And so that kind of stopped me in my, in my boots. Cause she was like, and I, I got it. I went, okay, you're from the South American country. You know, your country isn't sending people over for you. They don't have the resources to, to, to send people. So she had lost hope. And she thought this is what she was going to do until she, she died. Yeah. She, until she died. So she had lost hope. She had no inkling that there was any, any way for her. Well, and based on what you said earlier too, if most of these have been introduced by somebody that's known to them, family, clergy member, whatever else, she's got to think at that point, they didn't want me. There's nobody looking for me anyway, because they're the ones who gave me up. Yeah. Or, you know, um, I don't know this person's specific situation. Maybe she went to a fake job uh, placement uh, facility because those are in some of these countries where they're in cahoots with with people all over the world. Oh, yeah, you can go work as a waitress here. But once they get there, their passport's taken and they're told, no, you're going to be doing this. And so this, but this person had lost hope. And, uh, I think she had some children back at home that 
she left with her mom to raise. And, but what we did was we gave her hope back. And it was a good picture. A couple of days later, I got a picture of her getting on the plane, um, walking onto the plane, going back home. And that kind of, that was really cool to see. But what does she go back to there? I mean, um, like you said, part of it's the wraparound. How do you ensure when she's been taken from location A, I'm just going to make up a country. You get them in Mexico and you have to take them back to Ecuador or whatever else, you know, Uruguay. How do you ensure that when they get off the plane there, that they're not just turned right back around and it goes into this thing again? Well, we have aftercare in all these different countries that will that will get them. And, uh, you know, ultimately, at the end of the day, it's up to them whether whether they take the services, right? And um, we can't force people into into taking services, but this the our aftercare people and once these uh, survivors meet our aftercare people, they our aftercare people have a tremendous success. How many of your aftercare people are former victims themselves? I, I I don't know that, um, but we do have we do have people that we uh, survivors that we have rescued that that are now um, working in that capacity. Hey, give us a feel too for your organization, the mix of people, uh, because uh, you know uh, intel types, military types, law enforcement types, you know uh, professional types. What kind of mix? What kind of mix does Operation Underground Railroad bring to the fight here? We bring a whole. Uh, we bring a, we have police, ex-police, a lot of ex-military work for us. Um, and like you said, professional people. I mean, it's a, it's a hot, it's, it's a, a, a mix, a very good mix. We have people in place, um, in the right positions. Uh, we're not, we don't try to put a person that, uh, has has no business being undercover undercover right and then there's there's people running the organ or we don't try to put an undercover person that that has no business acumen trying to run the business you know we uh we uh you know the leadership of of operation underground railroad is 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 strong um it's fiscally responsible um we we cherish the the donations. We exist because of the donations from people. You're a five hundred one c three, right? Yes. If if people didn't donate, you could it you wouldn't work. allow. Yeah, I, I I couldn't do what I do. Plain and simple. So there's there's no governmental if, support. If people, no, no. You know that I, um, it's, I, this is just so heartbreaking, and it just. I keep my mouth shut because I don't want to start crying here while we're doing the interview. Um, to, just the thought of these things happening to these small children. But I, I can't imagine what these children have gone through. Just like this girl said, I didn't know anybody's looking for me. How does she ever trust somebody again? How does she trust the caregivers that are there to help her? You know, after, after she's just been manipulated so badly, probably the worst things in her life have happened to her that she never even imagines. How do you ever have hope again after that? They're strong individuals. The kids, I, because, I, I mean, they're strong. They 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 work through, and and they uh, their strength that they can get through what they've gotten through is is incredible. I mean i I don't know a lot of people that live in the United States that that have that strength to, you know, and, and I think sometimes here we have it so easy that any little, little bump in the road, people throw their hands up and they, Oh man, I, I can't get over something. The, what I've seen some of these survivors get over and thrive and, um, is, quite amazing i mean i've been i've I've seen firsthand going to different uh facilities where there's been survivors young young survivors uh 
that were put into horrible situations. But you go there and you see these kids playing. You see them having fun. You see them kicking the ball or doing whatever. And you think to yourself, the most horrible things happen to these 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 people. I wouldn't blame them for sitting in the corner and not not being able to function. But they're they're like they're like functioning and thriving. And because they're working through their issues with the aftercare that that Operation Underground Railroad provides and giving them the needed tools to to move on and that's what that's what's so so great yeah because you know one of the worst things that happens to these kids but beyond the other stuff but when they're that age you you rob them of something they never get back again which is their childhood yeah, their innocence they, they it you know when you've when you've robbed them out of, of their innocence and their childhood and then you got them when they're 12 and now they're 22 i mean you've robbed it I just, that's the other thing I think about too, is in spite of all the other damage, it's like, they never had the chance to be a kid. They never had the chance to go out, do practical jokes, get in trouble. You know, when I was a kid growing up, small town, it's like, we, you know, port, you know, when the street lights came on, you're supposed to come on, but we'd go out, we'd have fun, we'd come back. I look back at those times, I'm going, and I think, what would, how different would it be for me if I'd been robbed of those things? Mm-hmm. Oh, you're, you're exactly right. And uh, my childhood was a lot like yours. You you left in the morning, you came back when the street lights came on, and parents didn't know necessarily where you were. Well, my parents moved one time while I was out, so that was a little different. For I me. think they probably <laughs> still would. <laughs> you were you were like Joe Dirt. <laughs> I go out. Where's my home? <laughs> yeah, it moved. That's, that's right. I've I've got. I, uh, I need a GPS back in the day. Yeah. As we, as we've been talking here, I've just been jotting down some questions because you know this interview is so important with you. You know, I want our listeners to have some takeaways, um, and. Yeah, I don't want to jump ahead of Morgan here because I, I know he's he probably got some more operational questions for you. So you let me know when you're ready, Morgan, because there's I got four questions I got to ask. Go with it. Our way, Murph. This is uh, this is uh, hey, excellent. You know, um, this is cross examination <laughs> now. <laughs> well, so for our listeners and me personally, because I've got I've got four kids that are grown and I've got five grandchildren now, and, and Morgan does as well. And so, what are some things that people could look out for? to alert them that they might be a potential victim of a, of a scam that might lead to human trafficking. Like you mentioned uh, a fake business interview. Uh, we heard from uh, Natasha that she, it was kind of like that. She was approached in a mall because her makeup, she was a beautiful girl. Her makeup looked nice. And the girl approached her and said, your makeup's so great. We have a business where you could do makeup for stars and, you know, people like that. So what are some of the scams that they, they traditionally pull on people to watch out for? Oh, I mean, it's the, a lot of modeling stuff, uh, for girls and and boys, uh, young modeling stuff. They'll, uh, man, there's just, you, you want to, you want to be attentive to your children, be there for your children. And what I mean by that is, is know your kids. And when you see, or if you see, because they will manifest being victimized, they will manifest that. And if you know your child, and so your child, let's say, loves school, gets great grades, very engaged in school. If your kid, starts not liking school behaviors change becomes uh moody and dark for um you know i know every kid goes through stages and stuff but you gotta pay attention and ask the tough questions ask the tough questions um the the one thing that I'm I, I believe in is is having a cell phone and access to twenty four seven online um, social media stuff. I mean, the earliest that sh- 
that should happen is is high school. I mean, there's there's been studies done that if 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 your kid has a cell phone and has social media before high school, something like a four hundred percent chance of of them having um, diagnosed issues such as you know depression and um, it's 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 horrible for kids. I mean, you're and there. I mean, these kids will post something at night before they go to bed, and they there's been studies shown they get up four or five times during the night. They have anxiety. They want to see is anybody right. liked it. Is anybody liking it? And that will set them up for success the next day. So if they didn't get as many likes as they thought, they're depressed. Their next day turns horrible. They haven't had good night's sleep because they've been up checking it. So it's just a perpetual problem. I did a, I did a study because I, I did a webinar a couple of times, basically the effect of social media on kids. And I went back and I tracked from 2010 going forward. And I looked at the rise. The thing that impacted me exactly what you're talking about is the rise in suicides of kids at all the different age groups. CDC was tracking them. You can track the increase in suicides with kids with the increase in growth of social media. Now, some people don't confuse, you know, uh, I don't want to conf- people say, are they, you know, there's causation and correlation. Well, I think they're correlated together. I think social media, and you just, to your point, has caused the depression. You know, suicide, homicide used to be the second leading cause of deaths for boys age 13 to 17. Accidents usually is number one in almost every category, but it dropped to number three. Suicide became the second leading cause of death for boys 13 to 17. So you should have seen the percentage increase in girls, I think it was 10 to 12, just because they were accessing social media at too young of an age. Mm-hmm. But final point there, sorry, I went off on my own rant there. But the earlier that they have access to social media is the earlier they have access to being groomed, to being contacted, to being exposed to a lot of this stuff. They have not developed the skills, the social skills, the uh, the critical thinking skills to be able to identify those things for what they are. Okay. Rant. Uh, well, Oh no, you're, you're, you're absolutely correct. Um, in, in saying that, and these, these, uh, monsters online will pose as an, another 13 year old, get a 13 year old or 12 or 10 year old to send them naked pics. And then what they will do is then they'll turn around and threaten the girl going, Hey, if you don't send me more, then I'm going to put these out to your, all your friends and gets them in that cycle. And now they're, they're being victimized and, and it's just, it's just, it's, it's horrific. And, you know, even one of our kids, I won't pick out which one, but uh, in high school for punishment, you know, we, we would take the cell phones away and this particular child, we caught her. <laughs> I guess I just gave that away a uh, couple times coming in, in the middle of the night, getting her cell phone. It got to the point where we actually had to lock it in her drawer because she'd sneak in at two o'clock in the morning, you know, peel for that cell phone and then put it back, you know, so we would be any wiser, but that's, that's how sneaky or how addicted they could be, how, how horrific this addiction is. So see, I'm not, I'm not saying it's, it's going to be easy, Oh no, but you're right. You got to be involved. It's, it's not, it's not easy being an involved parent. And, the thing is, is <laughs> I don't know how popular this is going to be, um, but your job's not to be your kids' friend. Bingo, jackpot! Thank your, you. Your uh, your job is to be the parent. Um, like I, I I told my kids from day one, I go, you know, I'm not your friend. I have I have plenty of friends. I don't need any more. But I'm your parent, and I'm going to give you advice that uh, that can keep you out of. Um, having problems and when you grow up we can and it's be up friends. to you to listen to it yeah right. absolutely so i agree 100%. Uh, but i think nowadays i think nowadays that that's been kind of lost people want to be their kids as friend mm-hmm. i think that's a huge mistake i used to tell my kids i don't own every piece of property in town but i own this one and these are the rules until you turn 18 mm-hmm. when you're 18 and you're adult Hey, okay, you can have it's different then but um yeah that's i think that's the whole thing is well i just i want to be she's my best friend you know, that's why these kids get away with stuff mm-hmm. is it, when the parent here's the, here, I'll tell you what, you want to talk about a tactic, you know, who's really good. And, and I say it manipulating people, but you get people who are very good at sales. Um, 
what they're very good is about reading people. And I had one guy tell me, and it struck home, and he says, look, the easiest person for me to sell to is a parent who can't say no to their kid. Because if they can't say no to their kid, they can't say no to me, an experienced professional. And these folks would end up buying shit they don't need with money they don't have to impress people they don't like, which is the definition of status. And he said, I could sell these people all day long because it it went down to, if you can't say no to your kids, you sure as hell can't say no to me. Yeah. That's, well, that makes sense. All right, so let me ask the next question. Damn it. So let me tell you about the 14 things I bought then. Uh, <laughs> it's all Tommy Bahama, I'm guaranteeing you. I guarantee it's still just like the shirt I'm wearing and the pants I got on and the shoes. Uh, and the Anyway, I won't tell you about the rest. So but, uh, you, get, you have some more questions? I do. So if, if one of our listeners has a family member that disappears, what's your advice? What's the, what's the steps they should be taking? Immediately call 911 and... Uh, and uh, get them on it, and um, they're gonna they're gonna want to know information. They're gonna want to know, um, you know, social media accounts. They're gonna want to know who the friends were. What what you know? They're they're gonna want to know what's going on in your kids' life. And if 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 you're not gonna if you're not able to answer that, you're gonna make their job more difficult. So be ready to give up everything about your child because this is about your child. It's not about anybody else's child. It's not about maintaining a friendship. You're trying to save your child's life. Yes. <sighs> so, All right, there. I get a yeah. little. Get the authorities on it as quick as possible. Got it. All right. Um, so what? Now we get this. Uh, we got this after Natasha's interview, and, and that was quite some time ago. It was episode sixty? Was that right? So that was uh, sixty back yeah. in July of twenty-two. And we got as many comments on that episode as any we've ever done. And so I know we're going to get a lot of comments on this. If now that, you know, there's a movie out now, The Sound of Freedom, that's bringing awareness back to the human trafficking, the sex trafficking issues. You know, we're having you on the podcast here. We're, you know, all 28 of our listeners are going to hear your interview because we're growing. 20 round that's rounded rounded up to 29. We had 28.7 listeners. So so 29, 20, 29. Yeah. People are going to ask us, what is it they can do to help uh, to prevent human trafficking? Is it supporting operation underground railroad? Do they donate Do they volunteer? How do they get involved? What's, what would you give advice there? The sound of freedom. Um, I don't know if your listeners know, but operation underground railroad has received, no money and will receive no money from the success of, of sound of freedom. And put, of another, freedom. Put, put another stake in the heart of these people who say it's also a QAnon conspiracy. It's all this other bullshit. Well, we don't, uh, <laughs> we don't believe that as an organization. Um, you're talking to someone, uh, when a person says, you know, it's, it's, uh, QAnon or conspiracy, it doesn't exist. Well, I've been there. I've seen it firsthand. I've uh, rescued uh, hundreds of people. So if there's someone that can say that it's real, it's the people in Operation Underground Railroad, um, the team that I work with, when we're out and we've seen it, done it, dealt with the bad guys, seen it firsthand. This, this is no joke. This isn't, uh, and to politicize something like this is sickening. Um, we're not a political organization at all. And we're just about saving people that have been trafficked. Plain and simple. It boils down to that. Yeah, I pulled down your financials real quick, too, and it, it, it on there it says the purpose of the organization is to stop sex trafficking. But the other thing that's a clear indication, because I used to be on the board of a couple nonprofits, you've got a silver award from GuideStar. They rate people on their transparency, their use of funds and stuff. So all that information is out there. They can go to the website. They can take a look at all of this other stuff. You guys are very transparent with your financials, with your work, with what you do. And a silver, I mean, obviously, uh, gold is the standard you want to get to. But silver award, let me tell you, that's not an easy thing to get. Well, obviously, we're working towards gold. And uh, as an organization, we're working towards gold. We're always trying to improve. Um, We're always trying to uh, do better. And um, 
Operation Underground Railroad has uh, we we are in a great space. Um, we have great leadership. Um, we're moving forward with our. Uh, we're here to rescue people. Um, we like to say the sun never sets on OUR and and the operations because literally we're in Southeast Asia, Africa, Middle East, Europe, United States, or Caribbean, United States, uh, Central America, South America. So wherever the sun is going, our operations are, are going. Um, I just pulled up your job board here, too. You got an opening for an investigator in Malaysia, a social worker in Thailand. Yes. I mean, you are, like you said, this, it, the sun used to never set on the British Empire. Well, the sun never sets on OUR either, like you said. No, and uh, we're very proud of that. And our regional directors in each of those areas are doing a fantastic job um, putting the uh, pieces in place for long-term stability. And we're not, we're, we don't think short-term we think long term as an organization, and, and uh, um, we there's there's nowhere we won't go to uh, to to rescue people and to, and to be there for. Is would it? And I didn't have this right now. Just it just struck me here. So if you have a person disappear in your family here in the U.S. and you contact the police and and they have done their due diligence and they've exhausted all the leads as, as an example. Is this when you might reach out to operation underground railroad? See, we don't do, we don't do investigations in the United States. Um, what we, what we do do, what we do in the United States is we supply training. We supply equipment such as gray key and, and, uh, forensic equipment for these departments that don't can't can't afford it and the one really cool thing that we do in the united states is we have these esd canines have you heard of those the emotional support dogs no they're uh electronic storage device or detection dogs i need an emotional support dog that's why i said it (laughs) but the esd dogs um they're trained to sniff out a certain element that's in every electronic. So these people that are involved in the distribution of uh, child uh, CSAM, child sexual abuse material. And all the little storage devices that might hold the pictures on and everything else. Yeah. They, to them, that little storage device means the world. It means years of accumulation of this stuff that they can relive and watch over and over and over. So they don't just leave that out on the kitchen table. They'll watch it, do what they do, but then they hide it and they will hide it in the most bizarre, bizarre places. So their home gets raided. Please go into a search. And then the dog comes in. And the dog will find the stuff that's missing. On one of our episodes, we had that, Murph, when we were doing the canine officers. That's, that's, I think Christy Schiller talked about that. That's where I remember her saying that the, these new dogs that were sniffing out the electronics. I mean, it's just teaching them to sniff for stuff. And that's like contraband cell phones or other stuff for prisons, but same thing here. Right. And, and you know, we've, we've supplied mobile forensic labs for police departments because what's what's very important is once a warrant's done if we get the evidence on scene this was when i was a police if we got the evidence on scene then we could give it to our mobile forensics team that were on scene they could extract see that yes there was uh child sexual abuse material boom we can throw that guy in jail otherwise if we don't find it it goes back to the department which Nowadays, because there's so many cases based Could on take forensics, weeks or months. it takes months, six months to a year 
to get to that case and look where that person, um, the damage that person, if he's on the streets could do if he was left out there. So um, that is the type of stuff we do in the United States. But before you leave the United States, you, you let off by saying we don't do investigations in the United States. Why not? We have a robust um, law enforcement here in the United States. Um, and they really haven't needed a nonprofit to, to assist. And that's going to, uh, I don't know if we're, we're going that direction. But, uh, um, you know, we're not going to step on any toes here in the United States. Um, whatever, whatever assistance that they're willing to uh, take from us, we'll, uh, we'll give. But in some of these other countries that uh, don't have as robust of a police um, force or training, whatnot, like we talked about earlier, we're there to help them and bring them up to a level where they can take ownership and have the tools and expertise to take ownership. Because it's not about, I've worked with several investigators all over the world. It's not about the passion or desire. Because these, 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 these guys are good. And um, once they learn how to do these type of investigations and see the, the, the results. These guys uh, take ownership and they want to do it. But like I said, we've had to pay gas money. Something as simple as gas money to these guys. So they have the ability to go out and do an investigation. Cause if we didn't give them that, they wouldn't be able to go do it. It's something that simple. We don't recognize that as in the United States, it's, but that's the reality in these other countries. Has there been a country you have been rebuffed from that they said, absolutely not, we don't want you in here? Uh, that'd be a question for some of our uh, regional directors. I'm not sure. Um, well, and again, we're, this is not a gotcha question. It's just more, I didn't know if you were aware of anybody who said, nah, we're good. We don't need your help. Or, you know, even though there's an obvious, there are some people who just want to ignore the obvious say oh no we don't have a problem here you know just you know move along uh there is a caribbean country that i'm aware of that that was their answer year year and a half ago they've kind of changed their tune so and that's what happens is some of these countries that are a little hesitant will start working in another country that's close by and they'll see the success They'll see that, hey, these guys are giving credit to us, not to themselves. They're giving credit to name the country after they've done an operation. So then that spreads. And then uh, we'll be invited back to the table on some of these. Now, you, you mentioned that you, you were, before we started the interview, you'd been to a speaking event yesterday. What type of groups are you speaking to? Uh, yesterday wasn't a speaking event, but I've done uh, several speaking events to uh, um, different organizations that want to support um, Operation Underground Railroad. Excellent. No, yesterday was a speaking event because you were supposed to leave at 7. You didn't leave until 1130. I'm sure you were speaking with the airline quite right. a bit. No. <laughs> yeah. No, yesterday was uh, – and uh, – it's going to kind of sound kind of funny, and especially you guys look at me and you can see, oh, yeah, this guy's uh, – he doesn't look like he should be involved in this. But I've kind of had a burning desire in the last few years of, of looking for and possibly owning a wedding venue. And uh, so I was uh, – I flew somewhere yesterday to, to look at one that's for sale, and I'm thinking on the plane, I'm going, what's this uh, kind of – what's this obsession about owning a wedding venue? And I started thinking, cause I, had, I was, the flight was four hours late. I had a lot of time to think. And I came to the realization, I think I've seen so much ugliness in my life and with what I've done in my jobs that when given the chance, I want to see some, uh, I want to see more beauty. 
So I think that's happiness. And uh, so I think that's kind of where that, uh, so yesterday I was looking at a wedding venue, um, but uh, I got to save some more money or something. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, man, throw a and b there, a winery or whatever else you can pay for it. You know, without, they've got so many out here in Northern Virginia that are wineries and stuff, but they, they use them for their wedding mm-hmm. venues. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because of just the beauty of it. Hey, um, we wanted we, – we were negligent at the beginning because where they can go find out more information is O-U-R – ourrescue.org. That's the main site. Yes. And people can contribute. Um, and especially those of, uh, you know, um, and if you know this, that's great. If you don't, that's great too. But you get a lot of contributions. Do you have a lot of corporations supporting this or is this mostly individual contributors, people? Um, you know, it's like the grassroots campaign for a political campaign. Is it more grassroots people or do you get some good corporate support for this too? I think the majority of the money that we raise are from People just uh, $5 a month here, $10 a month there. Um, We have a large following. And so the importance of of the fundraising or um, donations cannot be um, minimized. Literally, the... The money that's given, I can promise, will equal rescues, plain and simple. And um, it allows me to do what I do and continue to do what I do. If the donation stopped, I would have to stay home. And I don't want to stay home. Your wife doesn't. I just got a call from her. She doesn't want you to stay home either. No. She's wondering when you're leaving no. again. That's it. That's it. But, uh, no, we're thankful and grateful for any and every dollar that comes to the organization. So for our listeners, just go to OURrescue.org. Check these people out. If you feel compelled to donate, you're going to have friends for life, I'm sure. If you don't think that's not the right thing for you, we'll do a little bit more research on what this topic's about. Don't believe the naysayers out there because there's somebody who will shoot down every damn good idea in the world. There's these conspiracy theorists that think that there's something going on in the background. Not only do we know time now, but but Morgan and I, well, I know Lou's involved with some of the things you're doing now. We we respect and trust that man right there. He he dedicated his life to his, as a public servant. And there's another guy who I'm not going to mention his name on here, but I worked with him when I was DEA agent in Miami back in the, the late 80s, who I had the utmost respect for. He was a customs agent. And uh, so based on the people that, you know, the couple people that we know, you know, we have full faith in this organization. So check them out, you know, give them a couple minutes of your time and just see what's going on. Well, let's let's bring this to a close with I think is one of the most important things. Well, one of the important things I want to get across, you talked about, Murph asked you about how do you recognize the signs of kids and stuff. Take us out by telling us how with me, because we had stories out here of a, of a, I think it was a colonel in a National Guard Bureau saw some sex trafficking going on at a hotel, you know, a thing like that. When I'm out in public, when people are traveling, give us a couple things to look for. If I'm a citizen, what should I be looking for? What should I be looking at that's going to tell me an indicator of, hey, this, this is human trafficking? I think, you know, there's, there's three different types of people. There's wolves. There's sheep and sheep dogs, baby, and sheep dogs. Okay, I consider myself. I consider you guys sheep dogs. We need more sheep dogs. That when they see something, they they're not afraid to. If something, if the hairs on the back of your neck stand up, and you go, something's not right here. Um, invest some time, invest some energy, and. Don't just walk away. When you're walking through an airport and you see a female, for instance, a female with with a with a male, and and he might seem to be a little um, uh, aggressive or um, uh, like lording over her. Um, being bossy, uh, 
just something's not right, grab a police officer, grab someone up and say, hey, I saw this. It just didn't didn't look right. It just didn't seem right. Then you've at least done something. You've do, you've been the sheep dog there, because you're potentially protecting a sheep. And um, we all know when we see something that that does not feel right, look right. It's uh, it's having the courage to act on that. And not just because the easy thing to do, it's just like the supervisors we worked with saying, yes, doing something about it's the hard thing. Saying no is easy, right? And it's easier to walk away and go, ah, I don't want to get involved. I don't, I don't want to get somebody in trouble. I don't want to know this. And as opposed to, if it doesn't look right, if it doesn't smell right, if it doesn't sound right, I mean, What's the worst thing in the world that could happen? You know what happens a lot of times? They go up, they have a consensual encounter, and as they get to talking, maybe the dude's wanted. Maybe there's something else going on. Maybe the child, it's a custody issue where uh, it's a, a parental custody abduction. You know, To your point, you have no idea. But if something doesn't look right, we've got to get more people saying, hey, i got to contact somebody. i got to let them know. Right, right. And just being aware. Just uh, looking outside uh, your bubble and and looking around, being aware of others, which is another thing that I think we need to get back to more as a society is, uh, hey, we got to take care of our, our neighbors. We got to take care of our community and we got to take care of those who could be uh, vulnerable. And it's up to all of us to to do that. You know, one of the things that we, we, you don't have to be a sheep. I was going to say, one of the things we do, we preach about here in addition to don't do meth is, is use common sense. You know, if something doesn't look right, just think, think it through for a second. Just give it a second. In my life, is this normal what I'm looking at? That's called common sense. You know, don't go off half cocked and be one of these, you know, do-gooders that doesn't know your butt from a hole in the ground. But just like Ty said here, if you if you see something that just looks out of the norm, does not look like it would have happened in your world, go grab a cop and say, eh, just like you said. I mean, I don't want to repeat what you said, but it can be that simple. You don't have to be a sheepdog 100% of the time. You just need to be a sheepdog at the right time. And the right time is when it doesn't smell, smell right, sound right, look right. So do something. So. Dude, I, I, you know, this is definitely one we're going to have to follow up with because I, I, I want to get into some additional stories, some additional successes you guys have. So, um, again, folks, go to OURrescue.org. Just hit that donate button. Do a monthly thing. I do a couple of them that way that are monthly. It's very easy. You got to find these things to support them because, to, to your point, um, without the donations, um, every donation ensures that there'll be the effort there to rescue another child somewhere. And that's what it's all about, right? At the end of the day, um, you're not keeping stats, but the most important stat is did we rescue somebody today? And will we be able to rescue somebody tomorrow? And they will be able to find on the website there, they will be able to find updated uh, statistics on how many operations we've done, how many. Um, uh, survivors we've rescued, how many perpetrators um, we've we've arrested. So it it's all on there. Uh, we obviously we'd appreciate uh, the support. Um, but at the end of the day, if all this is done was give you a little bit of awareness, then uh, mission accomplished. Yep. Mission accomplished. So we we want right. to say to you, Ty, of- God bless you for you and everybody that works with OUR. So proud of what you guys are doing. I told Lou, uh, after I found out what he was doing for you guys, I said, you know, I don't have what I call heroes in my life. I have people that respect, that, that I really respect. And my dad sits on that pedestal. Man, I hate to admit this, but Lou Velozzi's sitting right up there next to him. Right now. <laughs> so just honestly. Well, I'll tell you the thing, when Lou gets off a plane, the reason people approach him, it's usually the women going, oh, look, like, when, remember when we posted his pictures? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's what Lou gets approached by. Appreciate uh, everything. Yeah, you guys that doesn't that. happen. That doesn't happen with me. You know, I'm always. <laughs> I, I, I don't like to walk next to Lou. 
because uh, you know I, I I don't get any of that. And uh, well, you, but, you do. Uh, it's all you. It's not Lou. No. I'm telling you, <laughs> that's not Lou. <laughs> we can say that because we're on the internet. Hey, well, look. This is me saluting you, um, brother. Thank you for what you did before. Thank you for what you're doing now, and thank you for what you're what you're going to be doing. I know it's going to be great stuff. Um, again, folks, OURrescue.org. So, Ty, this is us saluting you, brother. Thank you for making a difference. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to be on here, guys. Absolutely. Good luck to the both of you. Well. All right. Don't you guys don't go anywhere. You two hold on. Everybody else, stay tuned for the debrief. There are no words to describe that other than powerful. And in fact, you could hear the just the raw emotion in Ty's voice when he talked about his why. Dealing with that five-year-old who ran up to him and hugged him, you know, and saved her from parents who were doing this, mm-hmm. the most vile thing you could do to a child. I'll tell you what, I hope, I hope, uh, he's like, I don't know if they're still in prison or not. He thought they're probably out by now, but I'll tell you what, that'd be one of those times I'd organize a letter writing campaign. Hey guys, do you know who you got in prison? Mm-hmm. I'm not you know, advocating anything. I'm just saying people should be aware. Thank God that we have a lot of, of good people here on Game of Crimes and, and on Game of Crimes Patreon because people like this make you lose your faith in humanity. You know, th- there's no punishment bad enough for this man and this woman that treated their child like that. It, it no. just makes you sick. And, and then when he talked about the, the, them rescuing the 89 kids, the way that they're helping all these other countries and stuff, the sound of freedom, you know, and, and folks, let me just read, let me just emphasize the point, re-emphasize the point. Sound all of, in spite of everything you heard out there, Sound of Freedom has delivered zero dollars for Operation Underground Railroad. They get nothing out of that movie. This was not, there's no conspiracy. There's no QAnon thing. There's none of this bullshit going on that people have talked right. about. These guys are doing the Lord's work. They're doing stuff that is righteous. And the only way they can do it, Murph, is it takes the donations from people like you, me, and other folks that support them. They don't get big corporate donors. He, like he said, the majority of their donations come from individuals. Yeah, so if you're looking for a cause, man, can you? I can't imagine a better cause to support than Operation Underground Railroad. I know there are other uh, organizations out there that are trying to do the same thing. <clears throat> Nothing. I don't know that they're better or worse. I don't know anything about them. But if you want to get involved, I mean, you know, people sit around and say, what can I do? What can I do? Well, here's something you can do. Check them out. Go to Operation Underground Railroad. Was it? Um, O-U-R-Rescue.org. OURrescue.org. Yeah. So Operation Underground Railroad, OURrescue.org. You can sign up to do uh, monthly donations, you know, things like that. Just do something. And the biggest thing you can do too is be aware, like Ty said, be aware of what's around you. If it doesn't look right, if it smells wrong, if it feels wrong, let somebody know. The worst thing in the world, please contact somebody. They find out nothing's there. Or as you and I know, Murph, sometimes what you've been sent to discuss ends up being something totally something else. So you might end up actually taking a real bad guy off the street or a girl. Because remember, these girls are involved in it too, as we found out from Natasha's episode, episode 60. So, man, I just can't tell you how freaking powerful this story was. And just um, the only downside... And, and if, you know, the, the biggest thing you can do right now immediately is share with your family members. So if you've got children, you need to let them know. You know, Connie and I were in uh, Washington, D.C. this week, and our oldest daughter lives there. And we had dinner with her and her boyfriend and another friend of hers. And uh, I made them sit there and listen to me talk about Ty's interview and things that they're getting. They're leaving next week to go to Colombia for a week uh, to Medellin and Cartagena to visit some vacation time. And I'm telling them, you know, Ty said Maintain eye t- contact because that shows you have self confidence. And I've, we've taught our Bingo. kids that all along. There, there is. If you, if there's one takeaway, tell your kids to look people in the eyes when they're talking to them. That, like you found out from the guy who was the master manipulator, like he said, that's the one thing he looked for. They look him in the eye. And he's got confidence. He moves on. Teach him that one little trick. And I'll tell you the other, the only downside about the interview, Murph, and I feel bad for Ty, is him having to get off a plane next to Lou. Um, you know. <laughs> Hey, we all have our crosses to bear. <laughs> Love Look, you, Luke. you're listening, buddy. Don't hurt me. <laughs> hey, but to Ty, man, Ty Holland, thank you. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for your service in Seattle. And thank you for continuing to do what you're doing now. You know, I started this little saying a few years ago, just because you retire doesn't mean your oath expired. 
And Ty is a living example of how he's continuing to help humankind into retirement. Man, you just, you are up on a pedestal with me. In fact, his words were, it was time to get out of police work, but he still wanted to serve. And this is how he serves. So this is us saluting you, brother. Great job. So, hey, we hope you guys enjoyed that episode. If you do, head on over to Apple, Spotify, hit those five stars. Let us know what you think of this, these messages uh, that we're trying to get out there. We're trying to have fun, but at the same time, this is deadly serious stuff. You need to take it that way. Also, head on over to GameOfCrimesPodcast.com for more info about the show. That's where we add our merch. You can sign up for Patreon off of that as well. Also, follow us on that thing they call social media, at Game of Crimes on Twitter. Game of Crimes Podcast on Facebook and the Instagram. Also, go to Game of Crimes Fans. Type it into your search bar on Facebook. Join our group run by our favorite mafia queen, Sandy Salvato, the Iron Fist with the Velvet Glove. Just hop on in. Have some fun. But also, folks, support us over at PayPal.com slash Game of Crimes. PayPal.com slash Game of Crimes. We've got some really good stuff coming out. Um, like I said, the, the one story we did on Small Town Police Blotter, we go into in-depth on that story. And I don't know how much more in-depth you want to go to on a guy hiding <laughs> oh, in a toilet. <laughs> <laughs> don't eat before you listen to that, okay? Do not. Oh, my God. It's terrible. But but that's that's where we have a lot of fun. We've got, like I said, several things. 911, uh, our monthly Q&A, which is always fun. Uh, case of the month. We just did Case of the Month. We did a couple that I thought were really good, so you have to listen to those. Oh, yeah. And all that yeah. good stuff. So, guys, just head on over there and have fun. Um, but most of all, we really appreciate you guys. We appreciate you so much for supporting us. And we want to thank you guys once again for playing the biggest, baddest, most dangerous game of all, the Game of Crimes. 